I'll start with a nice word in Parshish Yisroi from the Imre Noyam. The Imre Noyam says on the Pusik, Ati Dati Higudel Hashem. Yisroi was saying, wow, now I, now I see how big Hashem is. So Rashi says, Makiro Yehoyisi L'Sha'ovar V'achshu B'Yoyser. I knew Hashem in the past, but now much more so. So B'derich Dresh, he says something very nice, that the Imre Soilam, the Goyim, they only do Chiva when they have a lot of Tzuras. We see by Paroi, he came to some realization that he has to you know, do something different, but only after he was you know, all, all battered and beaten from all the Makkas. And the same thing by, by Ninveh. We find that when they, were, when, they, when they had a big Zaira on them, that's when they were doing Shiva. But when they had uh, Shefa, when they had everything good, then of course they were just uh, doing Bashir Slibam, whatever they wanted. So the Derech HaToyra is not like that. The Derech HaToyra, the Yiddish way of doing things is that when Hashem is good to us and He gives us Hashpuas Toivus and we have what we need, on the contrary, that's what makes us closer to Hashem. Yisrael was amazed by that. He came and sees B'nai Yisrael and they have everything they need in the Midbar. They have no Dagei right? They, they have no problem with their with their food, with their clothing, Panus, everything was... And, and he sees that Tzadik Ngadoy, Dor Daya, he was so impressed with that. He said, Makiro Hiyisi L'Sha'ovar. Till now, I only knew Hashem through Evra the Zam, the Tzura, when things were, were not going well, that's when I knew that. That's when you turn to Hashem. But Achshav, uh, now I see that even when there's Yisra and Hatoiv, now I see a whole new uh, way of connecting with Hashem, that even when, when something is good, someone can still you know, have the Hachnua that it takes to serve Hashem properly, seeing all the good that Hashem is giving him. This was something very new and novel uh, to a, a, a Ger, a Balshiva, like Yisra. So this is a very... Uh, interesting concept sometimes we we see somebody struggling sometimes we see somebody in an uncomfortable spot whether emotionally physically mentally and we're expecting a lot of them hoping that you know the more sequetched they get and the more unhappy they are maybe the more they'll realize how much they have to help themselves and sometimes there is such a thing there is such a thing unfortunately you know with an addict or other people sometimes you have to wait until somebody hits rock bottom until they realize that they have to change but very often when we can help somebody get into a better place we're helping them be more capable very often, the makiro hiisi l'sha'ovar doesn't work for some people. And we're expecting them something they can't do in a difficult spot. I have a course that I give, I sell, on EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique. Now, for my English listeners, this might not be so helpful because it's a course in Yiddish. It's actually probably the only course that there is in Yiddish on EFT that's available. Um, but one of the things that I mention always in my introduction to the course is that EFT is it's a method of emotional healing. It's a way to help somebody through whatever kind of uh, unwanted thoughts and feelings that somebody's dealing with. But very often people try to help themselves with a negative feeling or thought without changing the situation that's bringing it. In other words, let's talk, for example, about a child. You have a child who's being bullied, right? Which is something that we're going to talk about, actually. But if a child in the class is being bullied, and you don't address that, um, you know, the in a classroom with children that are not being nice to them and nothing's being done about it, then doing EFT for this child so that the child doesn't feel so hurt by the bullying or so bothered by it, it's probably not a way to go because whatever brought about, brought about those negative feelings today will bring it about tomorrow as well. So it's true that the child who feels better about himself might you know, be more capable of dealing with that. It's all true that dealing with negative emotions itself could be very helpful, but sometimes you really have to change the situation as well. And expecting a child to deal with negative emotions while being in the same negative situation is not helpful. Same thing you have with, older, with adults. If somebody is in a place, in an environment, in a work setting, or whatever it is that's causing a lot of problems, let's, let's give a simple, simple example. If somebody is living in a house where there's a leak, 
and it's freezing cold and there's water pouring in and you're feeling very uh, not good about that, right? It doesn't feel great to live in such a house. And you can do some EFT to relieve and resolve those negative emotions that you're feeling. That's not, that's not going to help you much. Because as long as you're in a very cold and leaky house, it's hard to believe you're going to feel too great about it. You might feel a little better than you did yesterday, but that's not, that's not the way to deal with things. The story they say from one of the tzaddikim, maybe the Rebzisha, who said about himself that he was once stuck in the mud, and he turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, I understand that I'm stuck in the mud because you want me to do chiva, but I can't do chiva when I'm stuck in the mud. Take me out of here and I'll do chiva. And it's a mushal of, of you know, asking Hashem to help us out of our difficult situations so that we could serve Hashem properly. So it's not just that the goyim do chiva when they have to and Yidin could even do it when they're doing well. On the contrary, sometimes we have to do well in order to connect to Hashem. And very often when we're dealing with people around us, especially children, it's important to know how to relieve a child of whatever kind of stress is causing um, negative behavior while addressing negative behavior as well, but understanding that a child is limited to how much they're capable of when, when things are really difficult in the situation that they're in. So let me let me read a, a, a letter somebody wrote to me, and I'm almost embarrassed to read it because it's a letter from camp, and we're holding now Chodesh Shvat, and I'm talking about camp. But I guess the ideas that are underlying um, such a problem are something that that could, that are very relevant and, and worth discussing. Okay, hi, my 14-year-old daughter, who is very popular and well-liked, has a bully in her class all year. Throughout the year, my wife guided her to stay to keep her distance whenever possible and gave her emotional support and encouragement whenever it was necessary. We had thought that she was going to camp. We had thought that that girl was going to camp the second half, my daughter the first half, so we didn't make sure that they weren't in the same bunk. It turns out that that girl also went the same half, requested to be with my daughter, and and her request was fulfilled. My daughter called home the second night, crying hysterically that she feels invisible. Nobody looks at her because the bully turned the rest of the bunk away from her. The staff at camp admitted that all the other girls from their class requested not to be in this bully's bunk, but they heard that my daughter could deal with it. They said that they can switch my daughter's bunk, but my daughter doesn't want to change. She's probably worried about how others will look at it. My wife tried to get the camp to switch the bully into another bunk, but so far was unsuccessful. I told my wife to try to convince my daughter to switch bunks on the premise that she will be well-liked and should not be concerned that she will be banebacht. She said she'll try, but she is not sure that she will be persuaded. Should I try to convince my daughter to change bunks, or is there a better way to deal with this? Thanks. Okay. You know, very relevant questions, not just in camp, not just with bunks, but, you know, let's discuss it the way it was, it was presented. So the first thing, very many parents hear children I'm describing a bullying situation. A child claims that somebody in the class is bullying them and fighting with them and, and putting them down and everything else. And, and this is very common. Now, it's important to differentiate between what's imaginary and what's real. So before I go on, I, I don't have any reason to assume that this 14-year-old girl is imagining things. It sounds like she actually dealt with it pretty well during the year, so I would assume that it's not just something that she's making up because she can handle it. Um, it seems that the other girls also see it the same way. I'm seeing this sounds very real, but I still want to address this. Very often a child comes home complaining that something's going on, whether it's a Rebbe picking on him, or a teacher, or a bully. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. And it's very important to differentiate. When it's true, it has to be dealt with and taken seriously, and every child deserves that validation and understanding, especially when they're dealing with a bully. They should never hear, oh, it's nothing, if it is. But sometimes it's important to just be able to filter through and realize what's really being presented. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, a child is always seeing things with tinted glasses. Actually, we all are seeing things through an emotional perspective. And if a child feels picked on, it's important to understand, is it or isn't it? I don't want to turn it around and say that, that it's a child's fault, but sometimes 
you have a child who's super sensitive, um, very self-absorbed, very into how he feels now he's seeing something and not seeing his part of a, in, in a problem, and automatically turning it on everyone else. Now everyone else is bullying, and everyone else is picking on him, and everyone else is everything else. And sometimes it's just so important to realize what's really going on. It doesn't mean that this child doesn't deserve to be heard or understood or dealt with respectfully, but it does mean that you know you should see a little deeper. Unfortunately, with adults, I'll, I'll, I'll say this only because I see it so often. There are adults that are um, what's called projecting behavior of personality disorder without going to the, into the idea of personality disorder and what it is and what it isn't, something I spoke about many times. But there are people that will easily be labeled by anyone who knows them or any therapist who understands what's really going on as, as being borderline or even bipolar sometimes and just totally not in touch with any kind of rational, uh, logical, sensible behavior. Very often, people like that will then turn around and say about their spouse, he's a narcissist, totally narcissistic. I've seen this both ways, men, women, a narcissist. Where does the term narcissist come in? Well, they can't use the term borderline or bipolar because this person doesn't have this mood disorder and is not, is not impulsive and doesn't lose it, doesn't tantrum, doesn't temper and do anything irrational. But narcissistic he is because he only thinks about himself. Now that term, he only thinks about himself, is so, um, it's, it's so emotional and so subjective sometimes. Now it's true there are people that are narcissistic. There is such a thing. There are people that only think about themselves. There are people that don't see past their own nose and they don't realize there's another person there. But then there are people that are simply not afraid or intimidated to express themselves and to make some decisions about that only affect themselves on their own. And it's easy for someone to say, you're a narcissist. You're not doing things the way I want. Like, huh? Not doing things the way you want, I become a narcissist. But it's easy for somebody who wants everything going their way to see you, if you're not giving in to everything that's going their way, that you're, you must be a narcissist. And that's where it gets tricky for somebody who doesn't really understand what's going on to, to not be able to figure out no, who's what. This person claims that the other one is borderline. This one claims that this one is narcissistic. And, and the point is not the terms and the point is not who's right and wrong. The point is to understand that sometimes somebody will be saying something against someone else based on how they feel about it. And in essence, the, the, the reason why you feel that person is narcissistic is because you're crazy. The, the fact that you even think that somebody who's just not afraid of you we're not doing everything the way you want. It's narcissistic. That says something about you, not about him. So let's bring this back to kids. When, when a child says, um, everyone or someone is bullying me, it's important to understand, is that child actually bullying you? Or are you bullying and now afraid of other, and, and, and you don't like that other people are not afraid of you and that's why they're considered now the bully and, and you're not the victim and all that. So it's just, I, I, hope I'm, I hope this is coming across clear just to understand how to assess the situation properly. So like I said before, this, in this case it does sound legitimate um, based on what, what other people are saying. I, I just want to pick up on one phrase um, you know, because sometimes it's not all or none. Sometimes it's not all imaginary or all real, but saying that the bully turned the rest of the bunk away from her, uh, it could be it's true. I wonder. Um, if the second night already, the bully was matzliach to turn everyone against her already, or maybe the bully was just not giving her the attention that she deserves, not being gracious. And that bully was very charismatic, um, charming kid who had everyone else wrapped around her finger. And the fact that everyone was listening to the bully's stories or, or um, whatever it was that she was involved in, and nobody was looking at this girl, she felt that everyone, they turned, their, turned everyone away from her. So it's just, you know, it's important before you jump to realize, is it the way it was seen, or is some of it emotional, etc. It's just, um, now... Let me just pick up on another few things that I think might be helpful to discuss. 
it seems that during the year, throughout the year, my wife guided her to keep her distance and give emotional support and encouragement when it was necessary. It seems that it was pretty okay throughout the year. It also seems that the other girls claimed that she would be okay with this girl, which means that they noticed that during the year she did well with her. So it does seem that she is um, capable of dealing with this girl. On the other hand, on the other hand, now um, at camp she might not be. She might not be. In other words, there are things that you may have worked during the year, whether it's encouragement or, or suggestions, certain solutions, that really are good, and they help a child. And in your experience alone, they probably had have helped in the past. But now when a child's away from home, and a camp, but she doesn't have the mommy to come home to, she doesn't have the reassurance, she doesn't have the safety zone, she doesn't have the, the comfort, it could be now is not the time. So that's what, like I said before, you know, trying certain things that might be helpful, but not when somebody's still dealing with a problem, or somebody's in a situation that they can't help themselves, that's when it's important to realize that certain things just don't work anymore. When a child's away from home, it might not be the time over the phone to boost their confidence, to give them the support, if they really can't deal with the situation that they're in, based on whatever the circumstance and in general, let me just throw in another thing, just because recently I was, I was mentioning this in the Shia for Bukhra. When a child's away from home, there are things that change. And sometimes we don't realize it, because it's so similar to what was going on at home that we don't realize that now it's different because the child's not, not home. In other words, the same child that maybe when she was home, you were able to give certain ideas and certain suggestions that did work. Now that she's not home, you might, you might think twice before suggesting the same thing because things are different. And this is something when it comes to Bechlal, when children get older, we don't realize that what worked yesterday when a child was younger doesn't work now when a child's older. When a child's away from home, or a child's at home, or a child's Shabbos, Yom Tif, during the week, school, there are things that change, and you always have to take that into consideration. Uh, Bukhar asked a question in my Q&A for Bukhar. Um, How do I be Makayim, keep it of Hawaiian, and call home? I'm away in Yeshiva, overseas, and I want to give my parents the phone call that they're waiting for, and I want to have connection with them. But every time I call, it's a whole barrage of questions of when do you get up and when do you go to sleep and where are you and why are you calling now and why are you up so late and things like that it just makes it so imbatant to call home that I, that I choose not to then my mother gets upset how come you're not calling and things like that now again what I answered that boy okay there's ways to explain to a boy how much parents care for him and how to call the right time and how to give over the right information etc but what happens is this mother is used to telling her bukhar at home when to get up and when to go to sleep and commenting on the things that she sees at home, which is normal, and the bukhar expects it, because at the end of the day, if he comes at 12 o'clock, he imagines that his mother's going to say something, he's not even upset about it. But then he thought that when I go away from home, I'll be on my own, I'll be able to do what other boys are doing, and I, you know, I don't have my parents looking at my back, but, but his mother didn't acknowledge that. And I understand her. You know, she's a mother. So if you don't know how to differentiate between what's relevant when a bukhar or a child is at home and what's, relevant, what's not relevant anymore when they're not home, you know, things change. So I'm just saying that whatever you may have tried telling a, a child when they're home, and it may not be working when a child's in camp, it's just a very typical idea um, that's worth just remembering that certain things change when a child's at home and certain things just uh, don't work anymore. Now, let's talk about the bullying, which is something I, I probably discussed many times, and it's always good to say again and again. Th- there's the typical idea that a lot of people talk about when it comes to bullying, that you have to make a child strong, and not be afraid, and you boost the self-esteem and the confidence, know how to talk back to a bully, etc., etc., as if the victim has to now be educated um, to deal with the bully. And in some, in, on some level, it's true. There's a lot to tell a child who's being bullied to know how to deal with that the right way. It's a shame to just you know, feel so helpless and, and not know what to do and always need somebody to cover for you, especially at age 14. On the other hand, it's important to remember that when somebody is bullying and somebody is not nice 
like I said before, by the time you confirm that it's true, this girl is not nice, and other girls don't like being around her, and she is hurtful, she's not sensitive to the people around her, if that's the case, then, then to say that it's this child's responsibility to take care of herself, as opposed to, no, there's somebody is a perpetrator. It's important to remember that. Sometimes we're so busy trying to boost a child to deal with negativity, we don't realize that it's not, it's not his responsibility or her responsibility to protect herself from somebody not nice. It's the responsibility of the staff, of the adults over here to, to watch over and make it a safe environment and not let somebody bully the other, the other person, especially with younger children even more. It's the job of, of a staff and a chayder, a school and a camp to make sure that there's nothing dangerous or hurtful or, or uh, unhealthy going on. To just say that, okay, so there's somebody hitting, so you have to learn how to protect yourself and move away. It's, it's wrong, and, and children have to know that they can feel protected and have adults take care of them and, and, and stick up for them. So it's, it's very important to remember that. Bullying should not be tolerated. And when somebody is doing something wrong to someone else, it should be addressed. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't, there should never be the attitude of, listen, you, you got to know how to deal with these things. As adults, th- there's a way to deal with things. I and mean, we are adults, and we shouldn't be, you know, we, we should always look at what we can do about any situation. When it comes to children, it's important to remember that no, there shouldn't be tolerance for bullying and it should be addressed and the adults involved should definitely feel the responsibility to make sure that everyone's safe and everyone's being taken care of. Especially when it comes to parents. Also something I mention often. Your child only has one set of parents. So often there are the parents that are more aggressive and more confident or firm and expressive. And when the child's struggling, whether it's in yeshiva or camp or anywhere on the block with friends, They'll stick up for a child, and if a child feels like, oh, I have my parents back, and they're going to take care of me, and they're going to stick up for me when somebody does something wrong. I'm not talking about the crazy parent who's always screaming at the teacher and the Rebbe and the Manal, and always, uh, you know, my child's always right, and you're always wrong. That's, that's not chinech, it's not helpful, it's just coming from other things. Um, and I think every Rebbe and teacher knows about that crazy mother who will always call complaining even before she verified what happened. But you have those parents that, are, that stick up for a child and they don't let the child get trampled. And, and sometimes when a Rebbe knows or a teacher knows that his mother's in the call and ask and, and just be more involved and not take just any explanation, they, they're more careful to make sure this child's happier. And then you have the parents that are just so gentle and so sweet and so whatever that they don't uh, stick up for a child because it's okay, nobody meant anything. You know, I understand that child, that other one keeps on hitting my son, but you know he has problems and things like that. It's important to realize that Children have only one set of parents, and they're the ones that have to stick up for them. So it's definitely a responsibility of a parent who's hearing that a child is being bullied to do something about it, whether it means calling the staff and putting down your foot and saying, I'm not going to tolerate this, and I'm going to come down there, and please make sure that you know something gets taken care of. So that's that's also something. Now, there's not a contradiction. So You know, you can't go to any extreme. It's not a contradiction with teaching a child to be stronger, teaching a child not to snob back the other girl and be mean back, you're a good girl, even if she's mean to you, you're not going to do it back because you're a good girl. You don't have to be afraid of her. You should understand that the, that the one bullying you probably has a very low self-esteem, very lack, a lack of confidence, needs everyone else's, uh, you know, that fragile ego that she's looking for everyone else to make her feel good. Other Rabbi, be nice to her. Be her friend. Don't be afraid of her, but be her friend. There is so much that you could educate your child about understanding a bully, understanding to feel confident and not be put down, knowing how to not fight back, knowing how to try to be her friend, Realizing that really she, all she wants is friends and attention. And if you give it to her in a healthy way, she might not take it the wrong way. There's a lot that you could do for your child. It should never look like it's one or the other. Either I'm going to tell my child to deal with it and give her all the suggestions without addressing the fact that there is somebody who's very not nice and taking advantage of my daughter. Or the other way around. I'm going to call the staff and I'm going to throw that kid out. and I'm going to sit. Your child has to grow as well. But I think this balance of understanding that it is the responsibility of parents and adults to make sure that, that nobody's being mean 
or bullying or putting down or abusing other kids, as well as telling your child how to deal with it, you know, that's definitely that's definitely very um, very healthy. Now, if you can get your child to switch bunks and not be afraid and not be ashamed and say, listen, everyone knows what's going on. You have to be afraid. I spoke to the staff. They said all the girls know that this is a problem. You can give your child that feeling that you could of the encouragement. And sometimes you put your foot down and you tell the staff, listen, my child doesn't have to suffer and be ashamed because somebody's you know, bullying. Either you're going to address the bully and say there's no tolerance and if it happens again, then she's going to have to leave the camp. Or you change her bunk. And very often, if you say it the right way and it's not presented with, uh, with, with anger or control or you know, whatever it is that's making the staff feel like you're against them, very often they'll take you seriously. So again, I, I just hope I gave a certain balanced approach how to deal with such a thing as I know what it is. Let me just, one more thing, and that is because sometimes I hear this from parents, just recently a parent was telling me, you know, what should I do? My child is the bully. I'm getting calls from parents, I'm getting calls from school, my child is bullying kids. So not always is it parents that are dealing with a child that's a victim, but actually a parent of a child that knows my child is bullying others, what can I do about it? He's bullying the siblings also. So it's 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 important to remember. We, we I spoke often about the differences when it comes to problems. There are problems that a child grows out of on their own. There are things that's not called problems. There are things that a child will never grow out of because that's their essence, who they are, and stop trying to fight it. And then there are things that need to be dealt with, and it's not going to happen on its own. And you have to do something about it. You can't just assume it will go away. Sometimes we see younger children that are bullying. Sometimes just. Uh, emotional way, sometimes just between friends, sometimes in an aggressive way. I dealt with many situations where younger children were doing something that was totally out of range, tying kids up and hitting them and beating them and think crazy things that we hope that, okay, he's little, probably by the time he's, he's 12 he won't do that anymore, probably by the time he's 17 he won't do it anymore. But sometimes when you look closely you'll see there's, not, there's, there's something wrong with this and he's not growing out of this so fast, he's growing into it and it has to be addressed. And you shouldn't just sit there and relax and assume that it will be okay. It's important to have like I said, zero tolerance for it, and put your foot down, try to come up with the right kind of consequences, present it in the right way, without getting too challenging or too personal, but very technical. And child should know this won't be tolerated at all costs, and make this part of the list of things that he wouldn't do. I always say the craziest kid that, that's the most daring still has a list of things he still won't do, because he's afraid of what will happen if he does them, right? Add this to the things that he won't do, because he should just be aware, be aware of what's going to happen if he tries it. It's very important to you know, to, to make sure that it's... Uh, obviously, if you can do it by encouraging a child to be nice instead of criticizing him, it's even better. All the incentives for being nice and caring and sharing is much better. But it's important to, to communicate in, in a way that he can accept it, that this won't be tolerated. Most of what children do negatively is because it's being tolerated. And you have to know where to put your foot down and where to say, okay, so he's young, it's okay. He doesn't want to come into the shield and daven. He wants to play outside. He's 10. He'll probably grow out of that. He won't play outside when he's 14 but he's bullying other kids and taking advantage and dictating and controlling. That's, that's something to address, especially if it's done in a hurtful way where kids are left crying and feeling hurt and, and left out. That's definitely something that has to be dealt with. I just want to connect to this the idea that we spoke about before. Expecting a 14-year-old to be in a difficult spot and tolerating the bullying, um, especially away from home, is not practical. So you want to do something to change the situation. The same thing is here as well. To expect your bully child to have that low self-esteem and feel rotten about himself, and be criticized and put down and, and uh, rebuked constantly, and still be able to control himself from hurting others, is not even practical. It's important to realize, the same thing you, I wanted you to tell your daughter, but it's important to realize about your own children. When they're bullying others, they're looking to control, they're hurting people's feelings, it's not because they're feeling great about themselves. It's not necessarily because anyone did something specific, but it's not because they're feeling too good. Most often, 
when you learn how to, aside from being clear about what won't be tolerated and how not nice it is and what you can do about it, but realizing this child needs chizik. This child needs to feel good about himself. You're going to boost his ego, boost his self-esteem, make him feel really good about himself, make him feel that you really believe in him, make him feel that you're confident that he won't ever do this again because he's such an awesome boy and you're so amazed by all the chizik and all the good middas that he has lately and all that. When you really make him feel good, he'll be much less tempted to bully others. So instead of seeing bullying as a problem that I'm going to put my foot down, I'm going to teach him, I'm going to make sure he knows, and I'm going to give it to him, and he's never going to try it again, and just make him feel worse about himself, if you, at the same time, try to make him feel really good, like a winner, like a good boy, like a nacha single, or like a special girl who has what it takes to make everyone around her feel awesome, and the, the good regards you're getting lately by the girls who get the chizik from her, you know, when you could make her feel really good, chances are she'll be in a better place, and she won't have to bully anyone either. So it's important to realize that when children are not in a good place, there's, such, there's so much that we could do to change that. There's certain things we can't do. But giving chizik and making them feel good and making sure that they're not dealing with anything that's, that's, that's more than they can handle, an Irish self that brings out the best of them, and brings out the best of all of us, an Irish self will see a lot of nachas from each and every one of them.